Welcome to Safety Spectrum, your environmental health and safety connection. This program is a presentation of the Michigan Safety Conference. For almost a century, the annual conference has provided credible educational opportunities and valuable support for the safety and health practitioner by offering 120 instructional programs, along with exhibits highlighting the latest in safety equipment, instrumentation, and demonstrations. To learn more about the conference, please find us at MISH, M-I-C-H, safetyconference.org. Welcome to Safety Spectrum. I'm your host, Sheila Eide. This program is sponsored by the not-for-profit Michigan Safety Conference, and our topic today is how drug use impacts the bottom line. You know, one of the challenges facing EHS professionals, employers, and the community at large is the prevalence of drugs, legal and illegal, impacting their productivity, welfare, and literally the health and safety of us all. Our guest, Michael Covarrubias, is a drug recognition expert, veteran, and retired police officer with 33 years of experience. Michael's training includes the Borkenstein Drug School on the Effects of Drugs on Human Performance from the Center of Forensic Science, Research, and Education. He also completed drug recognition expert training through the National Highway Safety Traffic Administration. And he's also a graduate of Central Michigan University. Go Chips! Uh, Mike currently works as a training consultant for the Training and Consulting Division of STT Security. So thank you for joining me today on Safety Spectrum, Mike. Thank you for having me. So to start with, can you explain a little bit about your role at STT Security? Yes, uh, STT Security is uh, a national company. They have, uh, uh, they service companies from California, Michigan, Illinois. Um, a lot of people when they ask, you know, where, how far does STT reach? And, and uh, they're quite surprised. And it's, uh, they have approximately anywhere from three to 400 uniformed uh, security personnel, uh, armed and unarmed. And so they provide a big customer service role there, uh, helping companies uh, keep their organized organizations safe. They also have a little, they also have uh, investigative units that uh, do uh, and special investigations for uh, maybe attorneys or people that need assistance, maybe somebody that is uh, hiring somebody, they may do background checks, those types of things. But I started working with STT because I worked with one of the owners of STT. He was a police officer and he left to um, start this company or work for this company. And then ultimately he's part ownership of the company. They have three owners. And we started the training and consulting division because of my training in law enforcement. Um, my drug training and also I have extensive background on uh, risk management. You know, police officers, they're managing risk all the time. That's what they do. When they get a call, they manage risk. And so my extensive training, we thought would fit perfect in helping employers um, keeping their organization safe. Because you have an organization that's in the town, right? It's, there's people working in there. There's uh, people coming in, people coming out. They're within the community. Police work within the community and they identify risk and different things that happen or people call for help. So how can we help the, the organizations with things like substance abuse, uh, active shooters, a big thing right now. Uh, people have some concerns because of things that are happening in the news. So my role at STT is to help companies 
identify those risks, help them work through it. Ah, as a one of my hats was a personnel director, and it's surprising the lack of security uh, programs you have in place just for you know an irate customer or somebody who didn't get a job or wants to tell you all about it and get into your face about it. So very, I understand what you do. Uh, do you have a cybersecurity section at all yet? Have you gotten into that part of it? Um, we're we don't necessarily have a cybersecurity IT part of that where we're uh, helping companies identify, you know, things that are going that things that people are stealing information. We don't we don't do that. We can do some uh, background investigations, identify things like that um, that people may need. Okay, so let's get into the what the topic is. How can we help employers in the community build knowledge and examine the consequences of drug use in the workforce and in the community? So what we do is that we use our, our law enforcement background. Um, and part of being an officer, uh, they should always be uh, identifying risk, identifying things that they do on a regular basis. And I call them the knowns, okay? So there are some known risks out there. For an officer, he knows he's going to, he or she knows they're going to go to a domestic violence call. They may go to the same call, same house repeatedly for generations. They know what, who lives there, the makeup of the house. And if, if you know those things, before you get that call, you should examine them. So when you examine them, you get better and, and it's safer for you because you, you're, you know what you generally can expect. You know how to safely respond. Uh, you maybe have an experience of how talking to the person who may be angry with you didn't work last time. You're identifying a known situation. It's not a mystery. So when it comes to drugs in the workplace, we have to identify those notes. Everybody is always looking for that, um, that the big one, something that's dangerous, that the unknown that's going to come and affect the organization. Really how we get good at things is we identify known things like trespassing. We know drugs is a problem in the community. So generally it'd be a problem in the workplace. Uh, we know mental illness of you or college that um, that that would affect mental illness is a big factor in college campuses. There's a lot of stress on college campuses. So if you identify that's a known, then we we look at that and we deal with that and we try to get better at that. So that's the first thing is uh, how can we help an employ employer identify their known risks and work with them to build strategy on how to prepare for that. And I think sometimes it seems so clear when you're in the uh, public safety uh, type of work that these threats are real. And I think it's harder to convince businesses that some of these threats exist there as well. It's just a little more subtle or they're not used to looking for it as a police officer would be. And when I did ride-alongs with the police, uh, domestics, we'd get a couple of two, three of those a night or turn into a hostage situation or whatever. And it was quite interesting what you say about the fact that you check the, what happened before, before you just jump into it, because it's a very volatile situation from what I could observe from way back. Believe me, I wasn't right in the middle of it. But So it's interesting what you say about the community being affected by things that happen in the streets, for sure. Those are the people that they're hiring. 
So why should an employer become informed about drug use in the workforce? So as we talked about, you know, what, uh, what you've done before, what your history was, the things, the problems that you dealt with in our history, as far as if you're an organization is, you know, you have to know what's on the outside comes in. When I was a liaison officer, you know, school liaison officer 20 years ago, you know, I used to tell the staff is that, you know, schools are a small micro microcosm of society. Everybody's problems as they come into the schools come with them. So um, the old, uh, now I'm dating myself here, you know, remember Nancy Reagan, she had to you know, just say no. And a lot of people made fun of her for that, just say no, how can you just say no? But uh, what knowing what drugs does to the body and how it changes things, you're better off never ever trying drugs because you don't know if you're that person that uh, is susceptible to addiction. So, and we also, it's a generic term where people say, well, drugs are bad. But the thing is, when you have a, when you have a supervisor they know drugs are bad, but do they generally know um, how it affects a person, how it affects their human performance, how it affects uh, their judgment? And do they know how to recognize when the body is exhibiting those, those signs that affect performance? No, I, they're, they're not. I'll give you a good example because when you talked about my background, uh, being a drug recognition expert, that program came to Michigan based on the anticipation of 2018. In November 2018 was recreational marijuana and the effects that it had on the roadway in Colorado, they had a little bit of foresight to predict that, okay, this is going to affect our roadway. So they're training the officers how to recognize drugs. So specialized training. So what it, so if I was an officer working the road right now as a drug recognition expert, another officer may arrest somebody and they don't know what's happening. They just know this guy is just acting weird. So they would bring That's them, a technical term, right? Acting weird. That's yes, yes. <laughs> and I would define what weird is, you know. So they would bring them to me and then I put them through a 12-step process and identify these traits. And, and then I would say, I believe they're the influence of this drug. So my question is for employers is, so we had to bring in experts, train experts, which we are continually doing now on drugs. How can we expect our frontline supervisors to know what's happening when it comes to substance abuse? Because the police's primary operation is keeping the roadway safe and that's their job. And they don't even, they don't know. Some of them really don't know. So, we need training for our workforce. Well, that is kind of a problem. I mean, it changes a person when they're on drugs. I think you and I talked about that and eons ago when I put together a drug and alcohol uh, program for C commercial drivers, It you don't know. I mean, at the time now that things have changed and companies doing their own testing now, but back in the day, the way I would train is to say, if, it's behaviors. You got to look at behavior and don't make a call and don't say you're under the influence or you're drunk or you're high on drugs or something. You, you need to send them to the, the medical personnel that we have in place and let them make the determination. But there were times when I, I got a call 
early one morning, like eight in the morning at the plant. And they said that this guy has fell down and I bent over him and he smelled like alcohol at eight in the morning. And I said, call paramedics, don't do anything, don't touch him, whatever. And when I got to the hospital, the doctor told me he tested a 0.3. He said, I don't know how he's even conscious, much less at work. So it kind of tells you right there that these people come to work that way. Yes, it's, uh, and that your experience shown through there. And you see, when we have uh, accidents in the workplace, it's just that that person just didn't show up one day at a 0.3. He miscalculated that. So for months, he was showing up to work and, and uh, maintaining that level that, um, that didn't affect his, his uh, observably affect his performance wow. because ultimately it does. But I always say, you know, I have a cup of coffee. Okay. Coffee is what kind of gets me started. Most, a lot of people do that, right? I get, I don't start my day until coffee. Some people's coffee is vodka. Some people's coffee is methamphetamines or, or some type of narcotic. That's their coffee. So they can maintain their sense of normalcy. And uh, when we have those accidents, people uh, miscalculate and they have that accident. And then there's always these people that come out of the woodwork and say, you know what? I, I did see something before. I knew that this was kind of happening, but I was afraid to say something. I didn't want to get somebody in trouble. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's a primary reason why we should do that, why we should train people. Yeah, that's the other simple phrase, see something, say something. But like you say, people are hesitant to either get involved or like you say, get somebody in trouble. So it kind of leads into our next question. Why should an employer become informed about drug use in the workforce? I think we've hit a little bit on that. Yes, it's, it's uh, well, one, we don't generally know the problem um, as a whole. Um, drugs like cannabis, it's very subtle. But if you, if you go to, there's a report, it's called the uh, HIDTA report, H-I-D-T-A. And Michigan has a HIDTA report on uh, cannabis, uh, recreational and medical. And it's a report done by the University of Michigan, but Colorado also has a higher report. And if you look in that report, it shows how things have changed. Uh, for the first time, instead of alcohol being the most dangerous thing on the roadway, cannabis was prevalent. So cannabis was involved more times in motorized fatalities. So people are using cannabis. And then if you look at that a little deeper, that you find that people are poly drug users. They just don't use one drug. They use um, more than one. They may use alcohol and cannabis or methamphetamine, but you find that it's very prevalent that people are, are uh, poly drug users or poly category users. Didn't you mention there's like seven different categories of drugs? When are we yes, talking? there are. And that's the other thing that's interesting because when they go through our training, they just say, I didn't realize all this stuff was going on. But you have depressants, which those are Valium and, and uh, Xanax and those type of drugs. And alcohol is in that category. You have stimulants, seeing the stimulants, uh, narcotic analgesics, uh, dissociative anesthetics, which is PCPs in that category. But and people don't think about it, but coracetin cough, there's a, there's a drug in there called dextromethorphan. And when taken in large quantities can really affect somebody. 
those are the types of videos that we show in our training. It's like, oh, this is dextromethorphan. This is what the person's under the influence of. And these are the things that you can see. So I have to write my name and show my license. I get a, I get a Lagra D. What's in that? Yeah. So those type of drugs, uh, that happened because um, pseudofedrin. Pseudofedrin is the precursor to methamphetamine. And so they wanted to make, the government wanted to make that drug a prescription. Well, the pharmaceutical companies didn't want that. So they agreed on doing something called NFLEX, National Pharmaceutical Logistics Exchange. So that's why if you buy some Sudafed, you have a cold and you have to show them your ID, they keep track of how many grams you purchase. And you can only buy so many grams of Sudafed in a month. And then if you bought too many, they refuse you. So I but guess if you, went to, if you went to 10 different drugstores and bought it, they'd, they'd be able to tell that, right? They would flag it. They would flag it. And actually that was when I was um, in a, I was on an undercover team for two years and we used that tool to find meth cooks. That's how, that was one of the tools that we used to stop, you know, the meth epidemic that we were having, you know, um, Montana was, was having a horrible time, Arizona having a horrible time. And those, that system was made to help them fight that. Well, we kind of touched on it, but what is uh, drug recognition behavior? So, and, and, and before we get to that, what about legal drugs that people take to take care of a, a, a disease or a problem they have, uh, painkillers, what have you, that they might've been prescribed by the company doctor even, or things they take for blood pressure or what have you? Is that an issue as well? Uh, yes, it is. So I'll give you a good example. Um, alcohol, we talked about alcohol. Alcohol has a, has an odor, how you, how you recognize when you came in contact with that person that was the three, the point three, how you recognize that was the smell. So sometimes if I'm an alcoholic, I may use a drug like Xanax because Xanax and alcohol are central nervous system depressants they basically do the same. The thing with a, a depressant, like a prescription, if I abuse that, I may act like a drunk, walk like a drunk, talk like a drunk, but I don't smell like a drunk. And um, those prescription drugs are in those seven categories of drugs. Uh, narcotics, uh, given a narcotic analgesic, we're talking about heroin, morphine, uh, fentanyl, you know, they, they have medical use but they're highly addictive. They're highly addictive. And, and uh, part of being a, during my training is doing evaluations on people. And the most valuable part of learning from them is learning about their experience. They were just regular people that had uh, maybe had back surgery, knee surgery, and they were susceptible to addiction. And once introduced, it took them on a journey that they did not want. And uh, so that's such a powerful drug that that is so addicting that changes people's lives. And uh, so if you're noticing different behaviors, I guess, as a supervisor or manager, you have a lot of things that you're responsible for, you know, productivity and getting the, the product out the door, what have you, uh, other issues, discipline issues. So what you're saying is we really should be aware of the behaviors that people are displaying. And how do we train people to do that? Because 
you know, when we talk, well, it's, it's prescribed by a doctor, fine, but in larger quantities, um, it, has, it has an effect. Let's talk about just something like aspirin, how the body changes. So I have a headache, I take an aspirin and then artificially these hormones get in, maybe thins my blood, whatever it does, it suppresses my headache. Well, drugs have, and drugs in general have that thing. I take this drug and then I, I'm feeling pain. I take this drug, it takes my pain away. It changes things. But when it's abused, those things become drastic. I'll give you an example of, let's say a narcotic. I'm taking Vicodin. In larger doses or abused doses of Vicodin, I'm susceptible to nodding on the nod. I appear to be falling asleep and it suppresses everything. So I could have, my temperature could go low. My heart rate even goes low. Um, I could take a temperature when I do an eval on somebody and they could have 94 degrees and you know, 98.6 is a normal generally a normal degree, but all the way down to 94. But also it's suppressing all these things. I don't feel any pain. I don't feel any bad thoughts. I don't feel my temperatures down, my muscles become flaccid and I fall asleep. Um, so in a working environment, that's not good. Yeah, so the physiology, you talk about the physiological effects of drugs, which would be yes. easy to spot if you're at that point. But like you said, some people build up a tolerance to where it's just, normal for them to be under some kind of influence that's kind of scary right and those those types of drugs and narcotics they they um they they kind of put you to sleep but then you look at the other spectrum of a, a maybe a methamphetamine a stimulant that has a performance uh component to it until you abuse it too much i give you a good example uh adderall Adderall is a stimulant in the same category as methamphetamine. But if you abuse those things, it over, it, uh, what it does, it just kind of tips the scale where you have anxiety, uh, you're restless, uh, you make poor decisions. You know, you may see somebody down the highway and they just can't stay behind somebody. They're going, weaving in and out, you know, it's impulsive actions. So, um, we make bad decisions when we feel anxiety. And that's why those drugs, they increase our heart rate and cause anxiety and restlessness. And it becomes dangerous, especially in the workplace. Oh, absolutely. Leading to accidents. How do you train someone in drug recognition? So um, the law enforcement side is a pretty long process. Uh, physically, you teach people about the body, how the body works, the body systems. So you have a, uh, your sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight. And then there's the parasympathetic is when you're sleeping, let's say where you're sleeping, you're relaxed. There's, you're not afraid of anything. Your body can be at its resting heart rate. Your eyes constrict because there's no danger in the room. That's the parasympathetic nervous system. So the fight or flight, your sympathetic nervous system, where if you were scared for whatever reason, your, your eyes may dilate and your muscles start to warm and your heart rate goes up and you're prepared to what fight or run. Right. Well, drugs kind of work on either of those systems, right? So a narcotic works off of works on the parasympathetic, like the, what we were talking about before a stimulant works off the sympathetic nervous system. So we educate them about those two things, how the body works, the upper, then the downer. 
Then we give them video examples of, of the traits that the people are exhibiting. We show them exactly what those traits are. And we use video because a lot of different trainings just use a PowerPoint and say, okay, if he's sleepy or if he's restless. But you really need to know what restless is. Uh, really need to know what anxiety is or exaggerated movements to know what that is. So after we show them in video, then we give them the terms and how to write a report. So when somebody picks up that report, they can, they can it's almost like they were there. I'm not talking a police report. I'm talking about anybody's documentation right. that, uh, in order to exercise policy. It's, I always say, I've seen that movie before. And that's, <laughs> you know, we're remembering our experiences. And uh, there's a training term that I, I use quite often is that the body can't go where the mind has never been. So what I mean by that is that if I'm a supervisor and I've never experienced drug use, I've never been around people that use drugs, then I'm not prepared to recognize that. But once I build knowledge and I've had training, it gives me the confidence to exercise policy. And um, that's what it is. How can we expect somebody to know what to do? It's kind of awesome, like the both of us, we're gonna get in a private jet. Hey, somebody just gave us this private jet. Let's fly to Traverse City. And then we sit in the <laughs> cockpit and like, all right, how do you start this thing? I have no idea. Somebody has to show us. I think you kind of, it manifests itself. Like you said, if you know the people and then they're acting differently than what they were before. But then I think you've already laid a foundation to say that people could be using, but you don't really know it because that's their normal. And then they over, overdose or something and then they become a different person. That would be noticeable, but I'm not sure you could pick up on somebody who's that way all the time. It's, it's all on um, being alert and using your intuition, you know. Mm. You know, what is intuition? Intuition is knowing something without all the facts. So you notice something, you say something's wrong here. We do that on a daily basis. You're going shopping, you're doing whatever, you know, and something out of the corner catches your eyes. Like, what is that? You know, something's over here, but you don't exactly what it is. So you do a little more information. You're like, ah, that's nothing. But until, until the mind knows those things, knows what to look for. They just like, ah, whatever, you know, and they keep moving on. That's a great uh, example. That's a good, good idea. What is your goal for the people who attend your training? So I want to build data in their mind so they can recall, <clears throat> recall um, information. I, I like to use the police work analogy because if you're a first year police officer, you went through your field training officer and he says, okay, I, you've got all the training. You're ready to go. They're out there on their own doing their thing. But the less experience they have, the more dangerous it is for them. The, if they don't experience things, once they experience something, now they have some information to recall on. This was a disaster the way I handled this before, or this was the way I did it seemed to work out. Well, same thing for this type of training is, is that my goal is, is for people to have data in the mind to give them the confidence to exercise their policy. And if they can do that, they can help keep their organization safe by stopping the incidents from occurring um, that sometimes are, are deadly, life-changing. I mean, you get hit by a forklift or 
you're in your you're driving a truck, a short route truck, and you you hit somebody, which is very common uh, when you have these accidents and they find out people are under the influence of drugs after an accident. Well, so, it translates so well in the workplace that the, the accidents occur to those who are new to the job. Absolutely. And then ones that have been there a long time, they start to get complacent as well as what we find in the safety world. So it sounds like the same for police officers. Well, their experience should keep them safer as they've been there for a while, but who knows? <laughs> so what I think, though, is is um, when you have this type of, of training, uh, employers are very hesitant when they talk, when it comes to drugs, because they may not understand it themselves or they're afraid, like, what if I fire all these people? How am I going to get people to work? Well, what I like to tell them is, is if you get the information, because cannabis, marijuana is a mystery to a lot of people. If you want the, the, the information, it takes a person like myself that just has the training and the experience of being around people, hundreds, and uh, showing them about it and telling them about how it affects the body. And then they can make a decision for themselves how they want to handle it in their business. Especially since it's legal in many places now and people will push back when you talk to them about it. But like I say, the more training you have for both the supervisors and the employee, this is our expectation because it's coming to a point, I think, where some companies say they can't find anybody to hire because they can't pass their drug tests. Well, I don't I'm not sure what, because there really hasn't been an establishment out like in alcohol of at what point are you dangerous, should not be driving, what have you. So I don't know how they're going to get to that point where they can tell that. Just go off of behaviors is what we're saying, signs and symptoms. They, they need uh, the professionals that know uh, the facts about it to, and can go to the legislation because the legislation wants numbers like alcohol. You, you know, 0 0.08 is uh, per se. If you're 0.08, you officer gives you a drug or a data master test, you're point you're legally drunk. But alcohol is not cannabis. Cannabis affects the brain. It's lipid. It it uh, the body drains it out of its blood as fast as possible. But after it leaves the blood, it's still in the brain. So they need they need to hear from somebody, an expert, to say this is how it works, yeah. and it's changing something. It's doing something causing decision making but again if if you can give the person the information give the um, the employer information they can make better decisions about policy so why do you believe this topic is important to talk about because it's uh, it's, it's so prevalent you know when in our in our lives you know you know, you start, you come in Monday morning and then before you know it, it's Friday. Okay, where did the week go? We're, we're concentrating on things that in our business and whatever type of business that we're in. Sometimes we don't pay attention to these subtle things. Remember I said how, um, how something like cannabis is very subtle affecting the roadway. You know, it, we're not really hearing about somebody that died in a car accident and maybe in uh in Detroit or in the UP where cannabis was a factor. I'm just using that drug. It's, it's not just one example, but um, we're not hearing about that. So our, it's not front news to us. But if you go, if you go to that report, I told you about Hyder report, it'll tell you that cannabis has a big effect on suicide, on homicide and the roadway. So if you don't know that, then you just, pass it off as, oh, I was, when I was in college in the eighties, I right. tried, you know, 
And, Very uh, different substance now than it was in the 70s or 80s, I think. A lot purer than it used to be. Yes. What do you believe the impact is of not addressing this topic? And well, the kinda, in, in the community. You know, it's kind of that old saying about hope, you know. <laughs> well, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen, you know. Well, hope never doesn't work. You got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. And um, one of my early trainings when I was a, a brand new officer, this guy by the name of Gordon Graham said, predictability is preventable. So if you can predict something, if you can predict that something's going to happen, you can prevent it or you can be prepared for it. So we just can't hope that this is going to go away. We, we know I, I use cannabis because it's, it's front news right now, but you can't drive I-75 or 127 without passing 20, 30 cannabis shops. So oh, it's, right. it's, 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 it's here. And, and, uh, and I'm not coming down. If people want to smoke cannabis, that's, that's fine. It's legal. It's just like drinking beer. Right. But we got to know that some people are going to make some bad decisions and they're going to drive or come to work or maybe during their lunch hour, you know, it's, so we, so we just have to be prepared for that. And there's a correlation to the safety world that, uh, there's a prediction of 300 near misses for 30 medical type accidents for every lost time. So like there are signs before you get to that point. So you have any final thoughts for me, Mike? Well, just what you said there, you know, um, we go by day to day and we get complacent, right? We got these near misses. So, you know, complacency says nothing happened yesterday. So nothing's going to happen tomorrow, but we know that's not true. And we, we just have to be, get out in front of things and we have to get the best information possible. And uh, I hope that I'm contributing to that, giving, getting out the best information possible so they can help make our workplace safer. I appreciate that. So my final thought is as with any identified threat, careful examination and research needs to be performed and adequate procedures and training must be implemented to assure safety, safe and healthy workplace. The bottom line means promoting recognition and education as key to protecting the lives and welfare of all. So I would like to thank uh, Michael of STT Security Training and Consulting Division. He can be reached at mike at stttsecuritycorp.com. And if you have any questions about this podcast, the Michigan Safety Conference, or if you'd like to be a guest, or provide support for the podcast series. Information can be found on our website at mishmichsafetyconference.org. Thank you for listening to Safety Spectrum. This is Sheila I.